Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the action from a busy weekend in the Autumn International Series and the Premiership. Then we'll be taking a look ahead to the big tests for England, Scotland and Ireland this week. Plus we'll be joined by former Scotland skipper John Barclay and current Wallaby scrum half Nick White. So settle back, enjoy, make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports, I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. How's your week been, lads? Oh, my tired. You or me? Oh, my, I think everyone. I think everyone. An unbelievable week. And all of it, it started off on Tuesday night for me at Windsor and Eaton Brewery. And people say you can't organise a piss up in a brewery, but people can. So Tuesday night started there. Windsor Rugby Club boys were there. Great bunch of lads. About 15 pints responsibly on Tuesday night. I've got to mention, most of the lads were from Windsor Rugby Club were pretty good lads, though, and a bit of a shout-out to them. Not so much Aaron McGrawty. He was calling himself the skipper. I don't reckon he's a skipper. An absolute belter of a bloke. Absolute noise. Um, so there's about 14 good lads there and Aaron was a noise. But yeah, that's how my week started. And, and by the way, their week ended pretty badly. They got humped 70 points to nil. So probably lay off the beers with Goody on a Tuesday night, lads. And then we headed to Cardiff, didn't we, Jim, on Wednesday? Well, no, let's just peel back slightly with a re- 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 rewind. I've woken up on Wednesday morning from a message from Andrew saying, Jim, it's full goo tomorrow night. <laughs> when we had a gentleman's agreement that it was work, it was business, because my good self, it was the calm before the storm, I mentioned last week on the podcast, that I had the busiest week I've had probably in 18 months lined up. So I get the message on Wednesday morning thinking, oh God, here we go, it's full goo on Wednesday night in Cardiff. I'm landing in Bristol. I've got a, a Mercedes 4x4, aka to a Prius, taking me from Bristol to Cardiff. I thought it was 30 minutes. Turns out it was nearly two hours, 30 minutes. The admin wasn't great. And we fast forward again. It's two o'clock in the morning. We've done a live show in Cardiff. We can get onto that. And ever since then, ever since Wednesday at two o'clock in the morning, I told Beck it was 12. Just, you know, I missed out the one. And ever since then, I've been absolutely ball bagged. But Cardiff was good. Good night, wasn't it, Andrew? Let's compartmentalize because so much has happened. Let's start with the live show. 
Andrew, you got what you wanted on the message. It was full goo, no? Yeah, it was. It was. It started off and we went for a bit of a feed, didn't we, before? A bit. A bit of a feed, yeah, a bit of a feed. All right. We went to Viva in Cardiff and... Not Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. It wasn't. You guys ate a cow between you. Well, no, no. If it was a cow, let's be honest, I would have bet the cows... I don't know if they've got toenails, but I would have eaten the toenails. <laughs> Andy Goud, I have never seen a man eat so much meat in my life. All you can eat meat. They were bringing out chicken, chicken, was it a chicken heart or a liver? Chicken heart, mate. Chicken heart. I did not know. I did not know. I will tell you this. And I know a lot of things. I'm a well-traveled man. I did not know that a chicken's heart is the size of a small, te- I mean, the size of a baked bean. Yeah. I did not know that. I did not know that it was that small. Quite salty as well, though, wasn't it? Well, when you put a pint of salt on it, when you dip it in salt, Andrew, I'm sure it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. So I had to line the stomach, because I knew, and it was a bit of a recovery from Tuesday night with a few beers, and then all you can eat straight to the live show. It was great to be back out there at the depot. Bobby Skinstad looked a million dollars. He sings like he's an absolute legend as well. The beers were flowing down nicely. And then fast forward a few hours, and we're out with some of the South Africans, aren't we, Jim? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to name names, but it was hell of a night. And some of the staffers were there that played at the weekend, that were on the bench at the weekend, and that weren't involved at the weekend. We're not going to name names. All I want to know, I don't know if he plays for South Africa, but as I walked in, I got a couple of fist pumps. You know, I'm a big fan of South Africa. I talk about it. This one lad stuck his tongue out, and I'm not joking, his tongue nearly hit his nipple. And I'm like, (laughs) if my tongue could touch my nipple, then it'd be literally on the nipple most days. (laughs) But I'm sure that lad played for South Africa, whoever it was. Yeah, it was like he had some WKD before, so the old purple tongue was back out. Uh, Mate, it was good fun, wasn't it? Good fun. And then... Thursday morning, the train back from Cardiff to London was absolute graft, sweating all the way home, to be honest. I can't work out whether it was the meat, the beers, or the vape, but what a nine. <laughs> <laughs> so that set me up nicely anyway. So I got home Thursday, Beck was like, how was it? Naturally, same as a stag do, quiet. And then Friday, that was me. Probably the biggest weekend in my media career, working for Prime Video on the All Blacks Italy game in Rome. So I had to be on good form. I had to get there, fresh as a daisy, ready to go, with all my names ready to go in the air, pronunciations spot on, get into Rome early. Oh no, I land at midnight, flight's been delayed, there's no driver there, and you know, there's always a story on a story, isn't there? And I could sit here and make it up. I ain't. I thought I was going to have a Mercedes, bulletproof Mercedes, drive me through Rome to the hotel. Why do you need to be bulletproof? Well, just in case, mate, because I've won a few games there, so... They might think it's my fault. All I'm saying is, is the next thing is, I am in a Ford Fiesta with a guy that looks like he's from the Italian Mafia, and I don't want to stereotype, but he had a spider tattoo on the side of his head, and he is saying, are you rich, are you rich? I didn't know if to say yes, I didn't know if to say no. I said, medium, middle, medium, middle. No, he's like, no, no, you rich. And I'm looking at myself, I'm thinking, like, why is he looking at me thinking I'm rich? He wanted 200 euros for a fucking taxi, that's why. So I told him I weren't rich and we negotiated a 20-minute taxi drive from 200 euros down to about 150. So I was worried. I didn't want to call him out. If you've been to Rome and you see a man with a spider on his head, (laughs) tattooed, he's pulling your pants down, exposing the skid marks from 12 hours of traveling and you're probably going to have to pay him a lot of money if you're rich or even if you're not rich. Well, after a very loose night in Cardiff, we're back in London for a live show later this month at Flatiron Square on the 24th of November. It's going to be another epic night with a few big surprises and a special guest. So if you've never been to a live show, or even if you have, 
Make sure you get involved as tickets will sell out fast. Just go to eventbrite.co.uk and search for The Rugby Pod. And a massive thanks to the guys at Flatiron, Guinness and the lads at Matchpoint for helping make this one happen. Right, let's kick things off with England then. Goody, what was the deal with Owen Farrell's positive COVID test and not being officially ruled out until just an hour before kickoff? Dr. Goody, here we go. What happened? Dr. Goody, all I'm saying is it is a false positive. So whoever is in charge of the testing, and I'm not going to name the company because I don't want to get sued, but they owe Owen Farrell about 25 grand in an appearance fee. Although, actually, the England boys pull their money and split it evenly across the squad now, apparently. So, uh, it's a false positive. It's kind of weird. It's one of them that, obviously, we heard on Thursday that there was a member of the backroom staff that got a positive COVID test. And then on the Friday, news comes out that Owen Farrell, he's had a positive COVID test. So, they've actually sent it off to the lab. They've followed all the protocols around Public Health England and, and the NHS track and trace thing. And he's back with the squad now. So, most people were like, well, he'd be ruled out of the game against Australia because you have to self-isolate for 10 days. He's retested it's negative it's a false positive and it's interesting now because you can get into the kind of meat of the game and it was basically touch rugby but the centre partnership as I've said on here before of Manu Tuolangi and Henry Slade was outstanding and I think that's England's best centre partnership Marcus Smith comes off the bench and he's a worldie where does Eddie Jones go now in terms of selection but um, the, the facts are I think Owen Farrell's back training with the squad again he's fit for selection this weekend he's tested negative and we shall see what Eddie Jones does because four into three, someone's got to miss out. And there's four class operators in that 10, 12, 13 sort of axis that, um, you know, he needs to try and work out who's best fit to play against Australia. They need to sort out this testing. Let's get it out there now. I don't know how many tests people listening to this have done, Andrew, with yourself. It's obviously coughing season now, chest infection season. Everyone's coughing. We're lateral flowing. The kids had to go for another PCR. We've had to self-isolate three or four times over the last 18 months. There's only one way to do this, and this is the Chinese way. Oh, God. Bend over, take your kegs off, and get that swab <laughs> up your arse. <laughs> because that is the only way, apparently. Mate, I'm swabbing, and I'm doing the back of my throat, and because I'm hard as nails, I'm shoving it that far up, there's brain matter on mine, and then I'm putting it in the thing, and nothing's coming up. All the research I've done... And it's a lot. Get it straight up the arse <laughs> is the only way. It's 100%. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know how COVID shows in the bum. I'm not an expert. Is that true? Yeah, this is true. This is what they do. In China, they swab them up the bum. Apparently. I don't want to get sued. So um, I'll just, just throw apparently at the end. There yes. we go. I'm, mate, I'm pretty happy with the current testing process because every time I've tested, I've been negative. So Yeah, I'm just worried about the piles migrating. So I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if you've got one. A hook on the end. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the game. England style of play, Goody. Is that, is that more like what you expect to see? A little bit more running? Or is it difficult to judge? It's difficult to judge because... Tonga were rather upsettingly playing a bit of touch, but actually the attacking framework, the endeavour, you know, the offloading game, you see the forwards ball in hand, Courtney Laws, his little inside ball to Genge. These are the things, and I actually, I'm going to go to Jim Hamilton about this one because a wise man once said on commentary in Rome on Saturday, the way to break down the best defences is by offloading. What idiot said that? Who, who would say something like that? You said it about Italy. And oh, it, did I? And it was great. Yeah, and it was right. Because sometimes to break down the best defences, now I ain't talking about Tonga's defence because it started in the, about the second minute when Adam Radwan scores and they were shouting touch. But England can only play what's in front of them. They were accurate. You know, the line-out functioned exceptionally well. It's going to be a very different challenge against Australia. Let's not beat around Jim's bush. But... 
I thought they looked sharp. They really did. And, you know, you add into the mix the, the last 29 minutes of Marcus Smith. And all I'm saying is that crowd, when he gets the ball, is on their feet. When he scores, they're cheering like you wouldn't believe. And England fans want Marcus Smith in the starting team. So, Eddie Jones, you better deliver this Saturday against Australia. But, yeah, listen, they attack well. You know, I thought the centre partnership, great to see Manu back in an England shirt. Henry Slade was class. But, again, you're playing against a Tongan team that was a little bit mix and match. Yeah, they had some of their bigger players back. But it was, in the words of Jim Hamilton, touch at times. But England were good. But it's hard to take anything from that, is there? Obviously, Courtney Laws's tackle, there was a red card. I thought Genji played well. He yeah. was physical in the, in the collisions. And that's what I've said. These games are hard for front five forwards to shine because I know Courtney was playing six because normally where teams like Tonga and Italy, you know, Samoa, are strong around the front five and around the collisions. And uh, I thought Ellis Genji w- was fantastic. So I'd like to see him start. I'd like to see Adam Radwan man start against Australia as well. Yeah, and the flip, the flip side of that, Ben Youngs, I thought he was outstanding. He's obviously chasing down... Jason Leonard's record, I think Jason Leonard holds the most England caps of 114, so he's not far off that, but he was brilliant. And yes, he had the platform and all this stuff, but you've got to attack what's in front of you. And, you know, that the kicking game wasn't the thing that was leading England. And there will be more kicks this weekend. You know, you play a better team with more structured defence, you're going to see more box kicks and kicking for territory. But, you know, that back line with Radwan on the wing, and I thought Stewart went pretty well at fullback, and obviously Johnny Mace got over for a couple. Yeah, England... Uh, They've got attacking threats, haven't they? They've just got to be able to pull the strings and please, Eddie, start Marcus Smith on Saturday. Well, Gertie, let's unpick that because that's a big talking point. People want to see Marcus Smith at 10. What do you think Eddie's going to go with with his 10, 12, 13? And what would you like to see him go with with his 10, 12, 13? What I'd like to see to start off with, I'd say Marcus Smith at 10, Henry Slade and and Manu Tuolangi in the centres. I think that gives us a really nice balance. You've got the go forward of Manu Tuolangi. You've got the unbelievable talent of of Marcus Smith. And Henry Slade's a ball player. You know, he, he can play that secondary receiver role. Ultimately, Owen Farrell, if he's fit, he's going to start. He's captain, he's going to start. Does he start at 12? The noises that were coming out of Eddie Jones prior to the Tonga game was he wanted to start Marcus Smith at 10 and Owen Farrell at 12. So I think he'll go with that. You've got to start Manu. If Manu's fit, you fucking get him in the team. Absolutely. He looks lean, doesn't he? And not that he was overweight before, but I know he's lost a little bit of weight. Mate, if Manu Tulangi's fit, you're in, mate. You put him wherever. So for me, he may actually go... I don't know, like some of the comments he's made in the press, he might start Farrell at 10 again against Australia and continue with Tuolangi and Slade in the centres. I think he might do that and have Marcus Smith on the bench, but actually I think he should go Marcus Smith, Tuolangi and Slade, but we shall see. Only Eddie knows, and I don't even reckon he knows right now. Well, let's turn our attention to Scotland now and we can get friend of the show on to have a chat about their hard-fought win over Australia on Sunday. Former Scotland skipper John Barclay joins us. How are you, mate? Very well. Thanks for having me back on. Mate, great to have you back on. And I'm going to ask you about your last week in Dubai in a minute because you look like a classic Scotsman that stayed in the shade. But you were doing the Amazon Prime stuff at the weekend for the Scotland-Australia game. They sent Jim out to Italy rather than Murrayfield. Are you that much bigger time than my boy Jim Hamilton or what? What's the crack there? He's just got good rugby knowledge, isn't he? They'll, they'll send him anywhere. You don't know. Smashing all the pronunciations, Jim, aren't you? John, it was tough. You know that that's not the case. All I know is that Amazon Prime video have given us a, a checklist of what you can and can't wear. No puffer jackets, no trainers, no white trousers. Mate, they, mate, so... They've given us that list because of what the hell you normally wear. But that's what I mean. So I've, I've gone dressed to Italy, dressed as the undertaker. You've got your white trousers on, the trainers at the weekend. I'm like, what's 
happening here? You're too big time. No, no, I didn't. I had nice grey trousers on, and I was wearing. Uh, I got bad Achilles. So. Ah, that one. Yeah, use that one to wear the trainers. <laughs> I heard you rocking the Christian Louboutin trainers, but you know, don't worry about it. That's fine. They were. They definitely weren't Louboutins oh, for Louboutins for me, mate. Let's just talk about ruggers. If I hear you say one more time again that this is a once in a generation team. I'm going to come around there and sort you out. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way. Genuinely, hand on heart, captain to vice captain, if we had that bat line when we played, if we had Ali Price, Finn Russell, guys like Sam Johnson, if we had Duan van der Merwe and Hoggy in his prime, would we be world champions? Yes or no? Hand on heart. Yes. You heard it here first. <laughs> Former Scotland skipper says yes. So that's what I mean. Um, but on that, John, again, we're obviously close to the players, not so much now as we're seeing this next generation come through, but a lot of the players there and watching them evolve and come through. You've mentioned it a few times, to obviously jested about it then. Is it a once-in-a-generation in a team? What do you mean by that for the listeners? I, like I, I said that, and then I guess people say, oh, yeah, people typically come out of the woodwork and say, oh, you've won, you won anything. I said, I know we're not won anything, but the fact that it's not, it's not subjective when you've got eight guys in alliance to it. You know, that's a fact. This has to be a once-in-a-generation team because that hasn't happened for well, when was the last time that happened but it should have happened but it should have happened when we but... played but it didn't but that's what i mean they've got eight guys in alliance two or six guys got capped and we lost yeah, it, it was a scottish boys <laughs> fault wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> has to be and i chatted to hamish watson i was like do they do they realize and they do like you, you get older in the team don't you and you realize you don't have many more years but the likes of hoggies he looks about 50 he's probably 30 you know finn's probably pushing 30 where is he going to be in a few years? Hamish is 30. All these guys are going to move on to the next, and then it's on to the, who's behind them. So that's what I mean by that, is that this is kind of, as you say, Jim, strike while the iron's turned on. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that is a Jim Hamilton saying, isn't it? <laughs> Effectively. But you're right, and, and I've got to correct you, because you have won something. You won the Calcutta Cup, and you beat England at Twickenham. Jim says by about 50 points, but I swear it wasn't that many. So <laughs> it is exciting times, though, isn't it? You know, you look at that victory outside of Scotland, people probably thought Australia would beat Scotland, but then you hear after the game that that's the third time you beat them on the spin. Australia are shite, aren't they, compared to... Scotland are the second best team in the UK after England, aren't they? Probably the shit out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's one of those ones, I bet they probably think, that would probably be the perception is that Scotland's their bogey team or something, even though, you know, beat, beat them at Murrayfield by about 50 points, beat them at Sydney, beat them here. The, the game before they won was, I think it was a point or something at Murrayfield. So, look, I think Scotland are a good spot, but uh, as you're saying... It will, these will count for absolutely nothing. Come to Six Nations, they gotta they gotta be at the top of the ladder because they came they were fourth last year, weren't they? They won their away games, beat Italy, and then they lost their home games. So yeah, you guys know it's all about it'll be all about what happens in the Six Nations. Of course, let's talk a little bit about the game against Australia. We can look forward to South Africa. I think we all expected it to be a high scoring game. That's probably what we wanted. But actually what impressed me most about the lads was the fact that we didn't play very well, really. And we still won. Yeah, I, I spoke that again. I was chatting to Hamish earlier. And I was like, when we played, we 100% would lost that game. I don't think Scotland would have won that game a couple of years ago. Certainly in the World Cup, we wouldn't have won that game. I think there's, there's a maturity, you know, Ali Price going to Alliance to being a line starter, Finn, you know, getting a Alliance cap. These guys are good. Everyone knows that. A bit more of maturity around how they're trying to play the game away from that, you know, fastest rugby in the world, which didn't work. So they actually, and that's what I think. i got to respect Gregor for that a lot. He almost took his medicine and said, look, this isn't, this isn't working. We're going to have to evolve into a different style of rugby. And I think they, they've, they've really nailed down their DNA and how they're trying to play the game. Let's talk about another man that you were coached by then that's making his way in international rugby, Richard Cockerell. I read a little article last week, John, <laughs> about my old coach, Richard Cockerell, who, you know, isn't very tall, but 
a lot of people hold him in high regard for one reason or, or another, mainly for his yoga. But you, you were quite scathing about Ocockers, weren't you? Honest, John will say. Look, I, I think if you've got a you've got an opinion, you've got a platform. Yes. Don't hide it behind anonymity. If you've got an opinion, and I have an opinion, I didn't like the way Cockers coached. I didn't like the culture was the main thing. I don't care if someone's a bad coach. That you know, that there's bad players out there. Who's to say I was the best player? But I don't like culture that was set up that the way that was set up, where it wasn't a pleasant place to be, it was a miserable place to work. So I came out and said it, and I, you know, if I saw Cox in the street, it might be an interesting conversation. It might be a short conversation. I don't know, I don't know what would happen, but it's my opinion. So if, if someone said, oh, how is it? And I, and I say, oh, do you know what? I loved it. It was class. Well, I'm a liar. And that's worse. That's worse, Andrew. It is. It is. No, but honestly, you know, some of the things you said are, a lot of people don't have the the nuts to say that sort of thing, do they? Like you say, people, and you're hearing a little bit around Dylan Hartley now talking about the Eddie Jones environment and how brutal that is at times. But he also says that he was part of that environment and, it, it, you know, he, he enjoyed certain parts of it, but it was hor- horrifically hard at times. Now, a lot of players just nod, don't they? And then they, they say, yeah, everything's fine, really loving life. But it actually takes a strong-willed character to come out and, and say the harsh truth of it, right? And that's look, it's hard when you're playing. That's the reality. They're the, the ones that pay your contract. They're the ones that pick you. So there is a kind of code of silence that maybe sounds a bit extreme, but no one's going to stick their head above the parapet until that person's long gone. And I kind of think, well, what's, what's the point? I think the guys didn't enjoy Edinburgh. Cox did a good job. And I do I did say that in the article, and that's you know, a typical bit of clickbait in terms of the headline. But Cox did a lot of good stuff. He also did a lot of bad stuff in the way he handled players there, which I didn't like. So... Yeah, and I said to Jim, we chat about this. When I when I first came out and started doing a bit of media stuff, I said, if you don't have an opinion and you just anyone can write the same stuff as anyone else, you know, it's otherwise you have to have an opinion on this stuff. So have an opinion. Uh, I try to, whether it's right or wrong, whether people agree with it, disagree with it, it's my honest interpretation of, of what happened. And there was no agenda behind it other than just to to give an insight into what I what I found to be. John, let's talk about South Africa at the weekend. I reckon if we played how we played against Australia. We're playing straight to South Africa's hands. I know we weren't meant to play like that against Australia. It's just the way that the game fell. Do you genuinely hand on heart think we've got enough to beat the world champions? Yeah, I got asked this today and I said, well, I know it's not as simple as the fact Australia beat South Africa. We beat Australia, so that means we beat South Africa. I know it's not quite... That's what Jim says. That's how I do it. That's how I work out. It's pretty binary. That's how I live my life. Yeah, look, I, I got asked this, and I think if, if they play, like you said, if they play like they did against Australia, I don't think they'll win that game. Like we've played against South Africa, it is going to be a different ball game. It's good. They're coming north south, ridiculously big men. How, how Scotland will beat them, I don't know the answer exactly, because uh, they won't beat them with power. Whether it's short passing is, but they'll have to be more confrontational than they were against Australia. And on, the, on that note as well, obviously, with the driving line out that you know is coming. I'd have Jim Hamilton in camp this week talking about Moreland to the cowsheds and back. That that might be a help, would it? COVID. Uh, they, they would have me in, but because of COVID, you're not allowed in there. <laughs> Imagine you in the lineup session. <laughs> Genuinely, John, I look at it, I reckon. Mate, you played touch for 10 minutes with some kids and you, you lay down for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. John, let's just talk about Hamish Watson as well. I don't know whether the listeners heard, but... You were chatting to Hamish Watson today? All right, just, yeah. I spoke to my mate Kovskin as well, so just to let people know. But we obviously rate him highly. I don't rate him as much now since he's shaved his mullet off. But in terms of sevens around the world, he was obviously up against Hooper at the weekend. Quagga Smith, who's been sensational, but you could effectively say he's up against Sia Khaleesi as well. Where does he rank, do you reckon? Or are we overhyping him because we love Hamish Watson? He's up there. Is he, is he the best player in that position in the world? 
I don't know. I, I do think, and I was buzzing from it. He got on the line, so he got a test cap. Did he get a fair crack at the whip? I don't know. Nah, I'll, I'll answer that. Nah, he didn't. No, well, I'll tell you yeah, straight. I, I, he wouldn't say that. But then you look at the guys ahead of him, you know, Curry's quality. You look at the guys come, come from the Southern Hemisphere, you named a couple of them there. He's up there. And the fact that he's in that conversation says a lot about how good he is. So, yeah, look, he does stuff that he's a totally different style of seven. The Australia game, you could see how heavily he's been targeted now. We saw on replay, he, they are coming in for him, all guns blazing out, and everyone's targeting him. And the fact that he's still managing to play as well as he does is even more impressive, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's ridiculous. And he hasn't lost the power of them on it because he's still got man of the match. I want to ask you about another Scottish player, though, because you stood very close to Sir Stuart Hogg. Has he had his teeth done? Everyone's talking about his teeth. He's had his gnashes done, hasn't he? I was just going to say, did you notice? It's like Ross from Friends. He's gone from having a, a bag of chips for a set of teeth to the, the most pearly whites ever. He's looking a million dollars, though, isn't he? The hair's been re-quaffed. He's getting better and better with age. It's yeah, but John, mate, you say getting better and better with age. If you throw in money at it left, right, so it's like being in a shit car and then buying a Range Rover. Like, as in, you can throw the money at it, you get a better car. Yeah, very true. Um, it's, I've got a BMW. I don't want to say what it is, but it's an X. It's got a five in it. But John, on <laughs> Hoggy's teeth, has he had them ripped out and then clipped back in, or has he had them straightened? What's he had done? I, I genuinely... I don't know what he's had done. I just know they looked very different on Saturday to when I was stood beside him. <laughs> his breath was hanging as well, but no, they look nice, doesn't they? I think he said his hair is done again as well, mate. He spent a lot of time making himself look a lot better, and he looks good for for Stuart Hogg. He looks good. He looks great. All right, John. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, looking forward to seeing you on the big screen for the big game with the big guns this weekend. Yeah, we'll see you. German joy. You got Spain, Uruguay this weekend. Enjoy. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Hang up. <laughs> right, see you, boys. Cheers, John. Cheers, John. See you now. Bye-bye. Top lad. Nah, he's all right. <laughs> no, he is. And fair play to him. That thing on Cockers, and it's a little bit awkward when you get asked a question around it, but he obviously had an issue with Cockers and the way he treated people. I like people that have got the bollocks to come out and say what they actually think instead of giving it the party line. Because we live in this world now where if you've got an opinion that might offend someone, you, you, you're probably best off not saying it because people have come back and abuse you for it. So fair play to him. He thinks Cockers is not a good bloke. And he said it in his column, didn't he? No, he did. And look, I think we should probably touch on it a little bit more because my opinion of Cockers is the polar opposite because of my experiences with him. And Andrew, you know, uh, Andy Rowe, I don't know if you know, with bosses that you've had before. It's one of them where... There's a couple of layers to this, right? I've had three coaches that I've played for where I could do an article or I could sit on here and talk about them and you'd be horrified. The listeners would be horrified with the way that I feel I was treated and the way that I was spoken to. And I'm not quite ready to tell that story. Andy Robinson, Vern Cotter, Mario Ledesma. Shall I, I mean, shall I name them for you? <laughs> well, you, you, can, you, can, you can name them. But there is a reluctancy around me and I've already opened one up before and you know we've spoken about Andy Robinson how I felt that he ruined Scotland in terms of my playing time there with the game plan that we had that that wasn't around him as a man that was more around him as a coach but you have to respect John for, for telling his truth and you know that's what I said to John I think he was a little bit nervous with the article going out there and that's the path that he's chosen to take but I think what we should say is it comes down to experiences Scott Johnson who's the director of rugby for Australia if you spoke to 80% of people, they'd probably say, the guy's a joker. But he once said on TV, when I made my 50th cap against Australia, felt like we won, the guy said to him, why Jim Hamilton? And Scott Johnson said on TV, well, 
I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I drink coffee. So he loved me. And I loved him for that. So it's around your relationships with coaches. John was obviously at Edinburgh. Um, he came from Edinburgh, from Scarlet's, ruptured Achilles. For everything he'd done for Scotland, should have 100% been looked after. He didn't. You know, I think they tried to get rid of him. And ever since then, the kind of relationship broken down. And, it, you know, but I, I'll say, you know, it's his prerogative. It's his column. And you're right, Goody. Like, you listen to the media and we interview players, you interview coaches. Some are engaging, some are not as engaging. You only have to look at Eddie Jones and the comments today in the paper. He's damned if he doesn't, damned if he does. Like, he really is. And people will be like, what are you on about? Have you read what he said? Have you heard what he said? Stuff can be taken out of context and it becomes this kind of wild, wild west of what you can and can't say in the media. So just going back to John, credit to him for putting that article out there and putting his name to it. You know, I know that he goes writes the articles himself. He's a smart bloke. But my goodness, may I wouldn't be walking past Cocker's house. He only lives about 10 doors down. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Eddie Jones's comments in the media then. Yeah, they're interesting. I mean, and, and do you know what? I'm actually... I'm going to do something that shocks people now. And I'm going to say, I think Eddie Jones has said it in a flippant way that he hasn't meant to cause any offence at all. He's just basically compared Emma Raducanu. He didn't say her name. It was kind of a, a, a quick comparison. So everyone's talking at Marcus Smith like he's going to win England the World Cup in, in two years' time. And I'm guilty of that. I think Marcus Smith is absolutely brilliant. I think he should be in the England team now. Eddie Jones sees it from the England head coach's role. And he's looking at it going, there are pitfalls of just giving this guy the keys to the, the car and throwing deals at him and, and making him the best thing since sliced bread. And what he was just trying to do, Eddie Jones, I think was compare it to Emma Raducanu, who did the best thing ever possible for her as a qualifier to win the US Open at the tender age of 18. And then after that came all the hype and all the magazine photo shoots and all this stuff. And then her next game, she loses to someone that she, you know, you think the US champion shouldn't have lost to. So I, th I think Eddie Jones is just, his words have been portrayed in a way by some people that are saying it's sexist, it's disrespectful and all this stuff. I think he's just comparing two young people making their way in, in the world of sport who are going to be absolute X-Factor stars in what they do over the next 10 years and they're going to be unbelievable and just said there are pitfalls. And I, I think it's been taken a little bit out of context and like Jim says you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't with Eddie Jones Eddie Jones has said some of the most ridiculous things over the last four years without a shadow of a doubt and I've, I've called him out on them but I think the, this time people are just jumping down his throat and actually I don't think it's sexist at all I think he's 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 basically said the young girl that won the US Open you know she was then on the front cover of magazines and at different events and then she lost the next game of tennis they're facts you know, and as a coach, you're looking at it going, you know, you compare someone like, again, you go back, Danny Cipriani, Owen Farrell. So Danny Cipriani, when he was getting his first start for England, he was seen in a nightclub on the Wednesday night and got dropped. And he was basically saying he was delivering some match tickets to his friends, wasn't drinking, blah, 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 blah. We were out on Wednesday night with some of the South Africans, weren't we, Jim, who were involved in the game at the weekend, not going to name them. Their management said that's okay. When Danny Cipriani dropped the tickets off, I think Brian Ashton was the coach, and he said, no, nah, that's not right. You shouldn't be in a nightclub after a certain time on a test week. And that was the way he ran his ship. Now, Eddie Jones is probably saying, you know, he wants everyone to be a little bit like Owen Farrell, who, you know, probably doesn't want the limelight at all. He doesn't interact on social media, doesn't do all that stuff. Yet he sees him as the most professional player possible. Johnny May, very similar. 
doesn't interact much on social media, just concentrates fully on being a professional. And that's how a head coach wants his players to be to get the best out of them, or he sees him getting the best out of them. And that's where his comments have come around Marcus Smith, because there's idiots like me on podcasts and in columns saying he's the best thing that's ever happened to English rugby, given given the armband, given the, the keys to the you know, drive the car now and, and let's all get on the Marcus Smith bandwagon. And, you know, Eddie Jones has to be, as a head coach, has to be a little bit more balanced. And I think he's, to be fair to him, I think his comments have been taken out of context. I 100% agree. You only have to have a look how he's, he's dealt with Maratoji. People will be looking at that England team being like, why is Maratoji not captain? Mm. Why is he not captain at the weekend? I don't know whether he will be. And do you not think? I'm not 100% convinced under Eddie Jones. Right. Because I think it's a similar thing with, with Maro. Not that he's got too big for his boots, but he has got too big for his boots in the sense of he's transcending the game of rugby off the pitch, like we're seeing other athletes do. You know, again, like watching some of these documentaries, like the NBA stars, the footballers and stuff like that. Part of it hand in hand now, unfortunately, whether the coaches like it or not, is growing your profile on the pitch, which then in this superficial world that we live in is growing players' profile off the pitch. Unless you mean you buy them from Indonesia or India. <laughs> your followers on Instagram <laughs> and, and that's the that's the kind of balance and again Goody look I'm not going to sit here and leave you to the wolves which I might effectively do if I don't say anything around it um, with, with your comments there I agree with you and people will be listening yeah what about this what about that it's it's not about like a, a, a man or a woman we're talking about two young athletes at the start of their careers who like you said Goody are going to be superstars mm. Emma already is a superstar in tennis. Yeah. You know, Marcus is, is on the way up. And you've seen it before. It can get away with you. It can consume you. And I think that that's what Eddie Jones is trying to say. He might have gone into more detail or too much detail in his thought process, how he's come to that point around Marcus Smith. But come on, guys. You can understand exactly what he's saying. Yeah. He doesn't want to see Marcus Smith rocking up to training in a bloody Lamborghini or a Ferrari, which he'll be getting offered like these kind of things, do you know what I mean? Or whipped off to a boat in Monaco with Chris Evans on the chicane, <laughs> partying in the Red Bull VIP. That's what he means. Yeah. Guys, come on. And yeah. I'm not saying our listeners think that, but that's what the media, and again, I've only seen bits of it before we recorded the podcast, but as we know, this is the world that we live in. And we've seen that, and I'm sure we'll get onto it with the Javo hashtag 69 situation, who we had on the podcast. Now it's our fault that someone ran on the pitch and nearly tripped up Liam Williams. And good, it's your fault. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> and just to contextualise Eddie Jones again, he often refers to other people in other sports, doesn't he? Yeah, when he has these press conferences. So he's just picked this one out around Emma Raducanu, who's done the best thing she could ever do as an 18-year-old. And Marcus Smith, it's like Marcus Smith winning the World Cup for England at 18, 19 years of age. That's how big it is. And he doesn't want... You know, he, he wants the performance to continue to improve. That's all it's about for me. Well, let's get an Australian perspective on that game and also look ahead to what should be a big match at Twickenham against England. Wallaby scrum half Nick White joins us. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. No, no worries at all. The, the, the sun did come up today, even though I thought it wasn't going to last night. Even in Scotland? Yeah, uh, mate, they're, they're on, eh, Jim? They're, uh, they're up for it. Yeah, um, scrappy game. Yeah, we can get into it. But I meant more the, the fact I've not seen the sun in Scotland for about three months. <laughs> so. I don't know what was going on last week, but the weather was, uh, they, they turned it on for us up there. It was, uh, it was a cracking week. Yeah, mate, obviously disappointing result in the end. How are you boys settling on tour and, and how is the change room post-match? Because we've got quite a, 
a happy Scotsman on this podcast at the minute, which is absolutely killing me. Oh, look, it was, um, yeah, it was a pretty quiet change room after the game. Obviously, we kind of felt that, you know, in a weird way, we'd, we we thought we'd almost probably done enough to win that game. And, you know, you know they're, they're tough ones. When when you cross the chalk in that first half three times um, and all of them brought back for, you know, little infringements. And look, I'm not going to argue those. They, they were there and, and we all saw them. But, you know, they're things that we could control, you know. Um, you know, we, we probably don't need to clean that long. And, and we go over in the corner, um, you know, probably an unnecessary clean out and, and Hoops goes over and, and you know, like a, you know, maybe a questionable crawl on, on Hunter, but the next phase, big Bobby Valentini goes crushing over. So, you know, those those things, we, you know, they're, they're all within our control and, you know, we've, we've had a good good tour. We, we spent a week in Brighton, a week in Edinburgh and, and everything's going pretty well. And and in terms of, um, you know, where we're at, like, you know, it's not, not doom and gloom, like, well, we're... We're pretty gutted, not pretty gutted. We are gutted with that, uh, with the result in terms of, of the way we're playing, and you know, it, it's all there for us. So we kind of feel that we can rectify that in a week. And, and as you guys know, as as ex-players, like that, you know, you can change pretty quickly in a week. I think there was an expectation, Nick, especially for me watching it at home, but the outside public that it would have been a high-scoring game, notoriously is. I think you mentioned it there around the frustrations. It was stop-start for a load of reasons. Just what was it like as a player with it being so stop-start? Is it really difficult to get into the flow and play the way that I imagine both teams wanted to play? Yeah, I think that was the funny thing. I think we both did want to play probably a little bit more of a free-flowing game. Yeah, you know, The breakdowns were pretty messy. It seemed like a bit of a wild west in there. And certainly for a halfback, it was... Uh, you know, there was there was certainly a lot of lot of hands everywhere, whether illegal or illegal. That's uh, you know, you just gotta, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta adapt. And I think that's probably the biggest learning for us is we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to learn to adapt. You know, with with the game being a bit different up here, uh, the breakdown being a little more ferocious. So it it was a little bit like that. And um, like I said before, um, your boys were up for it, and uh, they certainly brought us brought it to us and put us under a lot of pressure. And um, yeah, we're gonna have to be a little bit better than that to uh, to you know. Play the, play the style we want to play under those sort of conditions. Oh, you won't. We, we, no, we put 50 points on England. You'll be fine. If you rock up, you'll be absolutely fine. So Scotland put 50 points on them. I, interesting how you likened it to the Wild West. We normally say people from the Wild West go yeehaw a lot of the time. So we don't want to say that there was that going on in the game. But yeah, it seemed that way. And actually on that note as well, uh, the TMO told Roman Poit to tell you to calm down a little bit, didn't they? What is it? I mean... <laughs> I don't want to bag Roman Poit too much because that's his last ever test match. But my God, absolute cowboy at times around the breakdown, wasn't it? It is, yeah. I guess it's just hard. Like you go into any game, and you know the you know, their laws, as you guys know, in interpretations, and and every referee's got different ones. So it's it's just about um, adapting. And as I said, that's probably our biggest learning curve coming up here north is is going to have to adapt pretty quickly to to the way the games, you know, certainly played the the, the pressure certainly that came around that breakdown and the way it's refereed. And, um, you know, it, it, it was, yeah, it was pretty tough to, to get clean ball at times there on the weekend. And that's just something we're going to have to adapt to and, and make plans around. And yeah, I was told to calm down and that's something that certainly I've got to, I've got to look at and I'll do that this week. Um, you know, I think both teams on the weekend would have liked to have, um, you know, thrown around a little bit more. So if, if that can some way be cleaned up a little bit better, it'd be nice for everyone. I think. And what about the enjoyment, Nick, of the tour? We just spoke, 
just offline a minute ago, but I imagine for the guys, uh, both from South Africa, yourself, and obviously New Zealand as well, this is a tour that you'd really want to enjoy for the social aspects as well. We were just mentioning before that we saw a couple of South African lads and this guy with a really long tongue on Wednesday night having a few beers, and I think it's right that they do that. How is it for you guys? Because I messaged Petra Stupacy, he didn't even want to meet me for a coffee, so I don't know whether it's because he doesn't like me anymore, he's not allowed out, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so it, it's tricky. Um, obviously, we, we don't want a, a case where, like I went on the weekend, where someone misses a game. You know, We've been told there's certain rules around what we can and can't do, but it's also the first time we've been up here in, what, three years? So I think the last one was, was 2018, so it's a lot of guys up here for the first time. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of places and, and things we'd like them to see, but you know, in terms of where we're staying now in the Lensbury, like going into London, into into the precinct there, that's just a no-go for us. So there's also the aspect of you know, should anyone catch COVID in the next two weeks, they're not they're not able to jump on that flight home, and who knows when the next one is. So there's that as well. We don't want to get stuck up here. So it's a fine balance, but you know, coming from we were in Japan for ten days, we weren't allowed out of the hotel at all, and you know, to come up here to to Brighton and to Edinburgh, and you actually go out and get a takeaway coffee. It seems like we've gotten our freedom back a little, but um, you also got to be cautious because you know, whilst you know, you guys can lose Owen, and and you've got you know, twelve teams you can pick from. We've uh, we've only got a handful of players up here, so if we get one or two guys, um, you know, out with with COVID, but then, yeah, we're in a spot of bother. Before I mentioned about Petrus not meeting me for a coffee, he's definitely not <laughs> going to meet me for a coffee now, but I put a tweet out after the game just saying that he had whiplash and he shouldn't have dived after <laughs> Finn Russell. <laughs> Finn Russell pushed him. Has he taken any shit off the boys or not? Because it has. It's one of them things where naturally in the media, you pick up on them little things. There's a big thing at the minute around ball boys and around people, uh, water boys and that running on the pitch and or, or, or keeping all of the ball. I actually didn't think Petrus did much, but has he taken a bit of stick? Uh, I think he took a fair bit of stick off Finn at the time. I think Finn pushed him and then Paris said to him, apparently, uh, mate, I was just trying to catch a ball. And, and Finn said, mate, you haven't caught a ball your whole career. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think yeah, that's pretty good from Finn. <laughs> yeah, there is obviously that. They were looking to go quick, obviously. And we like to do the same. So there's a bit in that. There's a fair bit of space around that field at Edinburgh. Yeah, there's something about the smaller guys taking on the bigger guys at the weekend because ultimately Finn dominated Petrus and then you dominated Duan van der Merwe in that tackle as well. Talk us through that because you absolutely smoked him. Um, oh, look, we we first met me and Duan down in Montpellier. You know, we were there together before he came up to Edinburgh. So um, you know, it was awesome to see him doing really well. Um, you know, British Irish line and those sort of things. Oh, man, I, I just came across there in fear. Um, <laughs> There's not much I could do really other than what I what I did, just fly in there and try poke my head in the spokes and see what happens. And that happened to be the way to go. I just tripped him up and someone caught him. So yeah, it's it's awesome to see a guy like that, you know, doing well. And yeah, hopefully I don't have to take on too many big wingers. Talk to me about England this weekend. Obviously, Australia versus England in any sport gets the the blood pumping throughout the whole body. You know, you dislike us just as much as we dislike you, even though I like you, Nick. <laughs> I won't on Saturday. Let, let, let's talk about the game. Obviously, massive rivalry in any sport, but what are you expecting from the lads? Oh, yeah, isn't it? When we play England, it's, it's big brother versus little brother, and that's certainly how we, we take it on. Man, I absolutely love my time up here in England, so it's probably changed my perspective a bit. To be honest, when you play against England, it, it's easy to know what to expect because they're bloody good and that's what you expect. You know, they're an extremely consistent side, got a great pack, um, you know, with Marcus Smith coming in, that that adds a little bit of flavour. Um, you know, it's good to see Slady playing well. He's, he's, he's a threat. Like I said, it, it's almost it's almost easier to when you come up against England to, to know what, what you're going to get because what you're going to get is, buddy, you know, really, really good footy and we're going to have to be at our absolute best 
um, in order to come away with the result. And that's an exciting challenge. Uh, it'll be exciting to, to get to Twickenham again. That place is a phenomenal place to play rugby. Whilst winning at home is good, winning away from home is so much better. So that's the plan. And when you look at the England team, there's some of your former Exeter teammates there. Uh, one that wasn't there at the weekend was Sam Simmons. He obviously went on the British and Irish Lions tour. He's surprised he's not in the squad. Obviously, Tom Curry is a fantastic player, but some wouldn't see him as an eight. But for you, he might be back in the squad. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen this weekend. But you're surprised that he's not close to the starting position? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I guess scoring 20 tries last season, um, that, that, that's hard to ignore, I guess. <laughs> you know, so, like, you know, I'm, not, I'm not even going to try and begin to you know, question Eddie and, and what his thought processes are because, you know, that, that bloke's got the runs on the board. He's an incredible coach. So he's obviously seeing something that, that the rest of us don't. But, um, yeah, for, for Simo, like, obviously know him well. And I think he's an outstanding player. I think he'd be, you know, be a starting number eight in just about any other side in the world. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, from from where I am now, obviously not a chief and back home playing for Australia. I'm pretty happy he's not playing. The Wallabies are a bidding for hosting the World Cup in 2027 as well. Uh, how big would that be for the games? We know there's been some issues financially over there. Will you still be knocking around in 2027, do you reckon, to lead out the Wallabies? Or? <laughs> oh, look, I'm watching um, Wigglesworth get around and thinking, yeah, yeah. why not? He's still playing some good footy. So, uh, look, it, it'd be amazing for the game back home. It, it did wonders back in 03. And I, I think, you know, it... People love to come out to Australia. We've got a lot to offer. We've got great cities. We've got awesome stadiums. And um, whilst the game is struggling, it's on the way way back up, you know, and I, I think this would help it. But I don't know. It's, it's hard, to, hard to kind of picture myself watching a World Cup because I kind of want to go to it as well. So um, we'll wait and see. But in terms of for the game back home, it would be awesome to get that because it, it would be the boost that it needs. Nick, just before you go, we, we're seeing the moustache, absolutely loving it. And, you know, quite, there'll be questions. Is he doing this for Movember? Is he doing it because he looks cool? And it's a new thing. I watched the UFC at the weekend. I saw Zac Efron with a moustache and he looked he looked unbelievable I'm loving yours is yours that's it now it's just there full stop I was hoping you'd ask that because I've got it here here we go it's <laughs> <laughs> a, a peaky blinder <laughs> there it is I, I, there's a story to it I um down at Exeter and we had we had a social to Bath and it was a peaky blinders one and I was like oh, I'll grow a mo for this try try to look like Arthur Shelby and yeah I was like you know what this I'm is loving it fun. and I've had it ever since so Takes a little bit of heat off the big ears and uh, the gap between the, the big schnoz and the top lip. So, yeah, <laughs> mate. good bit up there. So I might have to talk to uh, to Hoggy's mate or even yours, Goody. Yeah, mate, mine, mine's going pretty Hoggy's looks lovely, though. I think he's had his teeth done as well now. So, um... Oh, mate. He definitely has. I told him to be careful next time I'm up here. He'll probably have Botox. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's getting everything done. But, uh, no, nah. yeah, the, the task is here to stay. You know, mentioning Botox, Nick, do you know that Para injects himself with Botox? I don't know whether that's a legal thing that you could do in Australia. Do you, do you know that or not? He did actually mention that when he first came into camp, yeah. We didn't know if that was serious or not. No, it's genuine, 100%. So Petrus Duplessis puts Botox in himself. Well, he's, I just polished it a little bit. His wife does, yes. In his face. In his face, and also lipos his back bum bag as well. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true story. There we go. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate, and uh, best of luck this weekend. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, cheers, Nick. I'll be rooting for you boys. I mean, I just hope it's a good game. Sorry. Mate, I hope, I hope you play well, but England win, but here we I go. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Class act. Cheers, Nick, mate. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Spring is here and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah. yeah love he, him. He really is. He really is. I'm, I message him every now and again on social media as well. Really is a top bloke. And, you know, I don't know what it is about Aussies. You're supposed to really not like them, but... what What is it? Because I every Australian that I know... I absolutely love Justin Harrison, Drew Mitchell. Yeah, Drew Mitchell, one of one of us. I was about to say my best mate there. One of me, one of my Australian best mates. Yeah, uh, Nick. Why well, I can't I can't think of any more actually. English people are supposed to dislike Australians like Australians dislike the English. Yeah, every time I speak to an Aussie. Get on really well with him. He's a great bloke, Nick White. I hope he plays unbelievably well this weekend, but obviously I'm going to sneak him. Well, you might have heard Nick just talking about how big the 2027 World Cup would be for Rugby Australia. Um, Rugby Australia are asking fans around the world uh, if they would like to experience another World Cup in Australia to show their support by signing up at australia2027.rugby forward slash hashtag subscribe. And the more people that sign up, the stronger the message to the rugby world will be that Australia is the obvious choice to host the 2027 Rugby World Cup. And on that note, with people signing up to that, we should all sign up. I'm not just saying that because we've had Nick on. I went to Australia when I was younger with the Kovskins. Three of them didn't come home. (laughs) (laughs) As in they stayed out there living there or they just got banged up abroad or what happened? Well, one of them apparently is working inland in the outback. No one's heard of him. So he might be be banged up abroad, locked up abroad. But two of them ended up staying. Eight of their lives. Of course they did. Who wants to live in Coventry? Coventry or Australia? (laughs) And so if any of the listeners out there are listening to this thinking, I need a change in my life. I don't like my life. My kids are driving me mad. The dog won't stop barking. Off you go. Let's get to Australia. Let's chat about Wales' defeat to South Africa. Was the difference just that the box had too much depth and power coming off the bench? There was nothing in it. It was just one of them games where it could have went either way. A lot of these games are quite similar now, aren't they? In terms of physicality, a lot of kicking. But yeah, I think that that's what it was. The Springboks are world champions. Wales have struggled against South Africa. We saw in the World Cup it was a close game as well. 
in the semi-final. Uh, it was raining, a lot of kicking, and there was nothing in it, really. I'll tell you what the big difference was, and apologies to all our Welsh fans. Yes, we came down to Cardiff on Wednesday night, but when you talk about the power can off the bench, we had a few drinks with some of those boys on Wednesday night, didn't we, Jim? So, um, apologies. <laughs> Guilty. I am sorry, but maybe it's because the few of the Saffers went out on the Wednesday night. But no, listen, it was... I felt a bit sorry for Wales because they wanted to... You could see they probably wanted to play a more attacking game. But when the weather it was as bad as it was, the rain was awful, wasn't it? You know, it ends up being a kicking game. It suits South Africa. You know, Wales, their best opportunity they had when Liam Williams was sort of messed up a little bit by the streaker with a bigger belly than me coming on the field. But also, you flip that and you look in the first half when Lewis Rees-Zamet is heading to the corner and Sia Khaleesi comes across and makes the you know one of the best ever cover tackles you'll see. As you watch Liam Williams go up the touchline, there's four South African defenders coming across. So the game suited South Africa in terms of the weather. The power game, you know, Fran Stein just gives me hope that maybe I can come out of retirement again because... He's looking heavy. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Jim, but my God, he can kick a ball. And actually, if you see that little step and play he had when he ends up beating about four boys and, you know, making about 34... 40 metres, he looked great at times. So that weather suited South Africans more than it suited Wales. Uh, but Wales, fair play. When you've taken 50 the week before against the All Blacks and people are writing you off, you've got no Alan Wynne jones you know, you're missing a few of the boys through injury. They fronted up, didn't they, physically. I remember the defensive set around, I think it was about 10 minutes into the second half, about 48 minutes in, when uh, South Africa made a lovely break down the, the short side. Lacanio Am put a lovely kick in and regathered and all that stuff. Then they defended for about 10 or 12 phases, turned them over. They bang at the length. Then they get a penalty at halfway, kick the three points. The noise in the stadium at that point, uh, that was when I just thought, how good is it to have the fans back? Like, can you imagine the noise in the stadium with a defensive set when they were singing and chanting, Wales, Wales, all this stuff. And then, so that they were great Wales. Europe against the best team in the world. And you're up against the very best team in the world in wet weather. Yeah, they're monsters. Malcolm Marks coming off the bench was absolutely ridiculous. You know, the size on him, the power, the driving line out. You know, for Scotland, that's coming this weekend, isn't it? How do you stop it? Well, at times, Wales couldn't. Wales will be massively pumped in terms of, yeah, it wasn't the result they wanted, but their performance was a whole different ballpark to what it was against New Zealand the week before. Goody, you touched on the streaker very briefly. We've been copying a lot of heat on Twitter this week for getting Jarvo 69 on the on the show and copying the blame for this. Uh, whose idea was Andy Rowe to get Jarvo 69 in? Put a name to it. Producer Tristan. I'm blaming you, Andy. Andy Rowe. Rowe. I'm I'm, I heard it was you, Andy Rowe. I heard it was you. <laughs> I still think it's funny. Not that, not what happened on Wales, but I still think, and not this, Jarvo needs to stop now, but I still find people running on the field to be a little, little bit entertaining. A lot of people don't. Because you're a Kiwi, that's why. It's a, it's a Kiwi thing. A lot of people don't. I think it's a bit weird. And I did say that. Yeah. And the other thing is, there, there is a difference. So, so Jarvo's doing it for a prank, right? And this is the big thing. Yeah, his pranks are, it's now dry. Like he said, he's got some big ones lined up. Well, his big one was carrying a baby with him under his shirt, playing against Japan and going on to the... Onto the anthem. Because did you see him cradling the baby when he stood there trying to do the anthem? The belly on him. My God, he makes me look good. But yeah, there's a massive difference between him doing that as a prank and then some absolute tool pissed out of his face, running on the field thinking, oh, here's my five seconds of fame kind of thing. Did you see him get hosed by beer as he's being dragged yeah. off by, by the stewards? Like, people are <laughs> loving What a fucking idiot. So there is a big difference. Yeah, there is. But if you look at it, I've seen, uh, I think Rugby Lad posted a video, obviously, with his mate or 
It could have been his mum, proud mum, of, of him running onto the pitch. I don't think he's meant to go on and interrupt the play. I think it's just where, I think the play, I think the play has come to him as he's got on there and jumped in the middle of it. But I mean, this is the thing, Andrew, we have got a platform, the biggest podcast in the world. We bought Java hashtag 69 on there. So maybe he's listening to the podcast. I'm just playing devil's advocate. People are listening to the podcast thinking, I want to get on there. How do I get on there? I'll tell you what, I'm going to fly on there. I'm going to intercept the try. I'm going to score under the sticks for South Africa and become a South African legend and be on the rugby pod. Maybe that's what's happened. So there's a part of me that can see the two. I'll be honest, I'll put my name to it. I do think Jarbo is a bit weird. I do like the number 69, but nonetheless, I do think it's a bit weird. And uh, with Andy Rowe, all this, basically, what happened in Wales with that guy running on the field is all your fault. No, I agree. Blame Andy Rowe. Should we move on to what happened in Ireland? Johnny Sexton, 100th cap and a samurai sword for Ireland and their demolition of Japan. Were you surprised about how one-sided that game was? I had Japan by four. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) Jim, you had Japan by four and they've taken 60-odd. On my match point predictor, I had Japan by four. I just, I wanted to put pressure on Ireland because I know that they would have seen that and I know that that would have been up in the team room and then that way they were going to put in a huge performance and to honour Johnny Sexton so he'd get a samurai sword, not a ginger we do, and it worked. 60 points. I did not see that. No, I didn't see it at all. Ireland were good. Yeah, normally they, they start the the autumn, you know, fairly slowly, but then they're obviously building up to their massive game this weekend against the All Blacks. And yeah, I mean Johnny Sexton's hundredth cap, hell of an effort. You know, Jim's giving him stick week after week on this podcast. You know, is he the right man to carry him forward? Well he played pretty well, didn't he? So when he's fit, um and when he's firing, he, he he's absolutely class and hundred caps is unbelievable. Imagine getting a samurai sword. What do you do with a samurai sword though? Do you have to declare it as a weapon? I imagine so. I mean, I'm not that I'm a weapons expert, but, you know, being a quarter Chinese, I'd say, and the fact that I've got a tattoo of a samurai on my arm, I'm saying it's a weapon myself. But you could say, you could say a didgeridoo is a weapon as well. Again, that would do some damage, like a baseball bat if it's a proper one. But if it's a cheap one, which Michael Hooper might have given that to Roman Pot with the way that he performed at the weekend, it might not be a weapon. Anyway. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? How's he getting the didgeridoo back to France? That's what I want to know. Like taking it to excess luggage or whatever it is, but yeah, no, I think he'll do the he'll do the same as he did with the COVID test, like them Chinese ones. What to put it? In? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> let's, let's go back to Sexton because it's Jim. You know, you've said a few times that his uh, his body clock's running out on him. Is he going to be ten at the two thousand twenty three World Cup? Do you think he can make it another two years? Look, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is is the answer? Like, we spoke about the live show, didn't we? We spoke about Alan Wynne-Jones. And again, it's so easy judging players and saying, look, he's too old, he's not good enough, he's too slow, all these things. I'm only going based on the... I love Johnny Sexton for what he's done for Ireland rugby, the way that he plays the game. I would have given anything to have played with him and not Phil Godman. And who knows what would have happened. So my respect for him is, is through the roof. My perspective on that is he gets injured all the time. Like he, he looks like his body's breaking down, but he's given the opportunity to captain. You know, Andy Farrell has said that they're looking for him to be captain of the World Cup in two years. And he's one of them players. We talk about transcending the game on social media and, and, and becoming famous in that way. You've got certain players that transcend it by what they've done on the pitch and their standing in the game. Richie McCaw's one, guys like Martin Johnson are others, Brian O'Driscoll to a degree. And Johnny Sexton's one of them players. 
it almost seems like he's that engaged within the group. He's that important to the management that, you know, even if he is operating at 60% and you look at what's underneath him, no disrespect, there's no one near him. So if you can stay fit, then absolutely he could go to the World Cup. But Ireland also need to think about what's coming next. They put, it almost seems like they're so reliant on him. Joey Carberry's back, isn't he? So hopefully, yeah, he's suffered with injury over the last couple of years and he can put pressure on Sexton, but also be a, a decent option if they want to make a change at 10 at times. But I'd love to see Sexton get to the 2023 World Cup. How do you think they go against the All Blacks this week? Tough one, isn't it? You know, there's the history of the game in Chicago. You see the way the All Blacks played at the weekend. Obviously, they changed up their whole team pretty much, didn't they, against Italy? And there was a load of errors in there. So they're obviously keeping everyone fit and fresh for, for the Ireland game this weekend. Seeing that as a you know a huge test after the, their Wales victory two weeks ago. So oh, I don't know. I mean, there's something in me that wants the Irish to win uh, and thinks they have got another massive performance in them. We saw. We've seen some incredibly close games there, but I also think that the All Blacks are just too good at the minute. You know, they're attacking prowess. They've got, I mean, Will Jordan scoring tries for fun in the, in the All Blacks jersey. The, the way they all play and offload, you know, Dane Coles came back at the weekend. He looked class. Oh, I don't know. I, I just think the All Blacks have got too much for most teams at the minute, including Ireland. And Ireland will put up a hell of a fight, but I think it's probably just a little bit too much and the All Blacks will win by seven. Jim, you saw the All Blacks play in Italy over the weekend, up close and personal, the big match. What do you make of that? Worse I've seen the All Blacks play. Like I, I don't ever remember playing them playing that bad. Was it because you were on comms? It could have been. I don't know. Maybe they felt the energy coming from when they were doing the hacker and me on comms. It was, a, you know, it was, it was genuinely a pleasure to watch them play. And Italy did really well. They did really, really well defensively physical but Italy do what they do and they kind of just flagged in the last 20 minutes and then the All Blacks do what they do and and come alive the last 20 minutes but I agree with Goody we're talking about here come wind rain or shine whatever the weather they for me they are the number one team in the world now I know I joke a little bit on social media that South Africa are the best team in the world on their day there's no better team on the planet than New Zealand there ain't their quality of catching passing tackling counter-attacking transition play there ain't no better team and I think the fact that they didn't play that well against Italy at the weekend and still put 40 odd points on them kind of gave, gives them a little bit of a rocket they've got a load of players to come back Retallick's going to be fit so you've got him Sam Whitelock I mean who, who are they going to play Richard Mwanga started at 10 Geordie Barrett is playing unbelievable at 15 I mean we, we could sit here and start name dropping every single All Blacks player I just think that I just think in fact I know they're going to have too much. I'm that close to the team that I know they're going to have too much for Ireland, unfortunately. You know, for rugby, going into the World Cup in two years' time, I'd love to see Ireland win because it really does open the door then, doesn't it, to looking forward to the World Cup in two years' time. But I just think the All Blacks got too much. And people were excited to see France's backline in action over the weekend as well. They kind of had to grind it out against Argentina, didn't they? They did. It was a very French performance, actually. And I mean that in the sense of what I think about French. They're either unbelievably good or unbelievably bad. And all you have to do is look at Jalibert. He has a 22-metre dropout charge down. He's trying to kick it a yard in front of the guy, Pablo Matera, who's trying to charge him down. I'm like, hold on a minute. What are you thinking here? They score a try from Argentina. Fast forward into the second half. Jalibert makes the most ridiculous offload off the deck to create a try for Malvaca. So the French are French, aren't they? And it's something they're either brilliant, and they can be brilliant and horrific in, in the same game. Thibaut Flamant scored a very Jim Hamilton-esque try against India circa 2003. He looked good, eh? Full float. 
Yeah, he's quick. You know, he rocked up at Loughborough University about five years ago saying he's a back and played in like the third or fourth team. He ends up being a second row, going to Wasps. You're welcome, France. We created him into this amazing second row and off he goes. Uh, and a hell of a try, hell of a finish. Um, but yeah, it was a battle. Listen, France, Argentina are always decent ding-dongs, aren't they? Jamonet's boot was pretty important from fullback as well. And yeah, the French did enough to win. Well, we can get your match point predictions now ahead of the weekend games. Don't forget, just download the free Match Pint app and join the country's biggest private league with the code RugbyPod to win free pints. And if you missed the first week, it's never too late. There are six games this week, so that means six chances to win a delicious pint of Guinness. All right, let's uh, let's go, boys. How do you how do you think you got on last week? First, I was flying until Scotland beat Australia because I had Australia to win by eight. I think so. Apologies to all my Scottish friends if I've got any. You haven't. Um, I wasn't that far away. <laughs> Apart from, I mean, it was close. This, the Ireland-Japan game, doesn't it? <laughs> Andy Rowe, stop going around the houses. Who's winning? So you both scored 68 points last week and Jim's slightly ahead on the leaderboard. You're ahead, Jim, all because of your week one results. So we matched each other this week. Week one, you're slightly ahead and let's see what happens in week three. All right, well, let's start with uh, Italy-Argentina. Jim, you've got, what, Italy by 40? I'm going to go Italy by three. Italy by three. I'm going to go Argentina by 12. All right. France, Georgia. Close. It's actually a decent test for Georgia, isn't it? Because everyone's banging on about them coming into the Six Nations. So for that reason, I'm going France by 35. Or I was going to go France by four, Ter. Just because they didn't play very well at the weekend and they want to score some tries and they can. Wales, Fiji. Bit of a banana skin sometimes this game is for Wales. But I'm going to go Wales by 12. I'm going to say... As I was meant to go first. Apologies. Wales by 12. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll go Wales by 14. Scotland, South Africa. The reason I went first on the last one, Jim, is because I wanted to leave this one to you. So, Jim, over to you. Scotland versus South Africa. I think we're going to struggle with this one. You've just beaten Australia. Not that I'm the weatherman, but I can feel the moisture in the air. (laughs) No, John's convinced me. Once in a generation. Once in a generation team. I'm going to go Scotland by three. There we go. I'm going to go South Africa by 10. Overpowering the Scots. England, Australia. Uh, England, Australia. I'm going to go England by eight. I think it will be. We, we normally do pretty well against the Aussies at Twickenham. Probably should go England by 12, actually. I'm, I'm confident. I'm going to go England by nine. I'm the same as Goody in terms of we. I mean, they always go well against Australia. <laughs> Ireland, New Zealand. New Zealand by 13. 13 or 30, Jim? Well, either or. I'll say 13. <laughs> I'll stick with 13 now until I see the team. So I want to see who's at 10 and who's at 15. Yeah. But at the minute, I'm going the All Blacks by 13. Yeah, I'm going to go the All Blacks by 10. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, let's. And we're going to start off with my old club, Jim, Newcastle Falcons. There's been so much ruggers on this weekend. We haven't really spoken about the Premiership, but what a win for Newcastle down at Exeter. Their first ever victory at Sandy Park, so they get a mention for that. What else is good? Montpellier. 31-27 winners away at Stabbrunt saying they're up to third in the top 14 after their struggles last season. So, friend of the show, Philippe Saint-André, is doing exceptionally well there. And Zach Mercer, carving up. He is. He absolutely is. Just uh, like Bath. I'm sorry. Why are you being horrible, Jim? Uh, going back to the Premiership, Leicester, eight from eight after pulling away from Bath in the second half. Great to see them top of the table again and continuing in the best ever start to the Premiership season for Leicester Tigers. Uh, London Irish get a shout out as well in the good. Biggest ever comeback to draw a game in the Premiership history away at Saracens. At one point, London Irish were 34 points to eight down. 
and came back uh, in the second half by a Scotsman, Jim. The Scotsman bought the comeback and it was the power of the mullet and Kyle Rowe, Scottish Sevens International, scoring a hat-trick, including a try to give uh, Rory Jennings the opportunity to kick the leveller with a touchline conversion at the end. So big spuds on Rory Jennings. Well done him. Um, what else was good? We mentioned it before. Thibaut Flamand. Flamand. Do you like the pronunciation there, Jim? Flamand. I've not done my, my uh, French pronunciations yet, but I will get there. But I, I, I'm just going to go, Thibaut Flamand. There we go. Thibaut, right? Thibaut Flamand. No, no, no. Anyway. It is uh, Thibaut. <laughs> hell of a try on debut for France. Uh, ran one in from 25 metres out. So... Uh, Pretty reminiscent of Jim Hamilton versus India back in the day. What else was good? We'll stay with the French theme. Roman Poit, we've bagged him on here plenty of times throughout six seasons so far of the rugby pod. But we've got to say, tip the slipper to you, Roman Poit. It was his last international game in Edinburgh on Sunday. Only Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes have refereed more tests than him. So he goes off into international retirement with everyone's best wishes for good reason sometimes. And as probably one of the best after-dinner speakers the world has ever seen. Roman Poit. Yeah, I reckon. Some of his stories, I he'd be chatting for days. Yeah, hell of a bush I reckon he's got as well, but there we go. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Yeah, another mention in the good for England's Red Roses. The women's team absolutely dismantled the Black Ferns over at Northampton this weekend. England, 56. New Zealand, 15, Andy Rowe. How do you like them apples? I don't like those apples. Well, the England women put 56 points on the New Zealand women. That means the Blackferns, they couldn't go out, Jim. Couldn't he go out on the piss? I know. I, don't, I mean, I'm shocked. <laughs> what else was good? Ireland, six of the seven starting backs scores tries as they played some far more expansive rugby than we're used to in their 60 points to five win over Japan. Andrew Conway got a hat-trick. Johnny Sexton scored a try and ran the show on his 100th cap. That gets a mention as well. 36 years of age, Johnny Sexton, 100 caps. Jim, you've written him off, but a hell of an effort from him. The good this week doesn't go to Johnny Sexton. It nearly did. It goes to... Brave. No, they're going to get a mention because they beat Racing 12 points to 10. But no, my old club, Brave, don't win the good this week. James, you'll be very happy to know that Scotland win the good this week. I thought you were about to say Wasps. I no. genuinely <laughs> thought you were about to say Wasps then. For scoring a great try or something. I don't. I think they lost, but... Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, Scotland get the good this week. Three straight wins against the Wallabies now, which equals the most they've ever managed in a row against them. Uh, and a massive shout out. Ewan Ashman's try in the corner on his debut was just phenomenal. So between Ewan Ashman and the Scotland team for beating Australia, they collectively get the good this week. Air, air. Andrew. The bad. Um, Exeter. Get a mention of the bad. Great win for the Falcons, but there's something not quite right at Sandy Park at the minute, James. Is they're losing to Falcons at home? Happens. You can't be amazing every season. You canny, Jim. You canny. Uh, Canada. They're dropping like a brick in international rugby at the minute. They lost to Portugal after failing to qualify for the 2023 World Cup. They lost to who? Portugal. Oh, my. But I mean, Portugal were in the World Cup in 2007. Exactly, James. Exactly. Did you beat them? I can't, I don't know if we played them, probably. <laughs> no, they played the I see, All Blacks. I, I see, we were that bad, I'm second-guessing myself. <laughs> but yeah, it was like 107 points to the All Blacks, weren't it? It was, yeah, it was. Something else in the bad, Andy wrote. We mentioned oh, it God. before. New Zealand Black Ferns taking 50 uh, uh. from England's Red Roses on Sunday. Uh, what's happened to New Zealand women, mate? You're hosting the World Cup next year and you're garbage. I don't know, I don't know, but maybe they put all their eggs in the one basket to win the gold medal at the Olympics. I'm not sure. Oh, there we go. There we go. But unfortunately, the bad this week's got to go to Japan. 
People expected so much more from them. Uh, they were really poor against Ireland, conceding 60, so they weren't out in Dublin on Saturday night either. Uh, not a great performance by Japan, who gave us so much hope by smashing Scotland at the World Cup and beating Ireland. But Ireland got their retribution at the weekend. Uh, and then the ugly, uh, two bits of ugly from the weekend. Uh, the idiot who ran on the pitch while Wales were attacking against the Springboks, he's getting a mention. His belly's pretty ugly as well. That gets a mention. A load of beer being wasted, being lobbed on him. Just ugly scenes all round. No more running on the pitches, please, people. No more running on the pitches. We don't endorse it. But the ugly this week goes to Viliami Fine, uh, who was red-carded at Twickenham. Uh, not only did he put a high shot on, but then he follows it up with an elbow to the face of Marcus Smith. Don't touch our Marcus. Don't touch his hair. Don't touch his face. He is the future for English rugby. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. And you may have heard or seen on social media already, but we're looking for a junior graphic designer slash video editor to join the team. So if you have what it takes, just send your CV and some examples of your work to admin at therugbypod.com. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well. And make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 